Matthew 21, and I'll start in verse 1. It says, When they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And as the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And we'll pray as we, before we continue. Lord, as, again, just as we're turning to your word, we thank you for it. Thank you for the ability to read it aloud together, Lord. And we ask your blessing on it at this time, Lord. We ask for your help now um, as I speak. Lord, I pray that um, the things that I say would be glorifying to you um, and that we would be helped and encouraged in some way, at least, uh, through this time, Lord, so we can ask your blessing and your help through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we call this Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry, where Jesus, a week before he's crucified, enters into Jerusalem in this way that looks like he's coming as the king. <laughs> He's coming as the prophesied Messiah. And it takes no time at all to turn that around and he ends up being completely <laughs> the opposite and turned in, ridiculed, and beaten and crucified. So what a, a transition in just a few days. Now, it's, I think one of the most important aspects of this particular passage as we read it is just the, the realization of the fulfillment of prophecy. And I just want to just take a, a short look at that prophecy that was even referenced here. And it's in Zechariah chapter 9. Right near the end of our Old Testament. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And there's 
specifically the prophecy that was quoted that Jesus is fulfilling. And it's very specific, and it's very specifically fulfilled in that story as we're looking at Jesus fulfilling that. And we can see the people, the religious people, the Jews, knew this prophecy. They knew this passage of scripture, and they recognized it for what it was. As Jesus is writing in, in that condition, they're welcoming him as that Messiah. They're singing praises and calling out Hosanna. They're believing that he is fulfilling this prophecy. As I was reading a little bit about this and why Jesus is riding on a donkey. We look at history and we look back even at various examples in scripture and it's believed that riding on a donkey was symbolic of coming in peace. When a king rode on that animal, he wasn't coming to battle. He was coming with a message or a mission of peace. And so this is the symbolism used in that, as opposed to riding on a horse, which was indi- would be more indicating he's coming for battle, which we notice in Revelation. When Jesus comes back, he's riding on a horse, not on a donkey. And so there is some, some symbolism there as to the intent as he's entering Jerusalem. And he was welcomed, but that didn't last. I'm going to continue reading. Hope you haven't turned there. Verse 10 of Zechariah 9 says, And I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. As for thee also, By the blood of thy covenant, I have set forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. And I'll I'll just stop there. But I'm not going to claim to have an understanding of every aspect of these verses. Um, There's some things in here that certainly are hidden to me. Um, this is a book that very few people, there is very few study guides on the book of Zechariah. <laughs> um, there's very little preaching done in the book of Zechariah because it is a difficult book. There is a lot in there that we can't really understand completely. But we see this, and I certainly see aspects of the church. Um, when he says, he shall speak peace unto the heathen, that's us. <laughs> we, we're, the, we're the heathens that he is speaking peace to. He's offering his salvation, even to those nations that were completely against him uh, throughout the history. And verse 11, he says, as for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant... I have set forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there's no water. It's by his blood (laughs) that he's providing that peace, right? People, the problem is, they didn't understand as he's riding into Jerusalem, 
that it was his blood that is providing that peace. It's his blood that is providing the fulfillment of that covenant. And so they, did, they expected him to come and set up a kingdom at that time. But that's not his purpose. He was fulfilling the rest of this. And it says, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there is no water. And it says, turn to you the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even to do, today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. And I see a, a pointing to those Old Testament believers who were depending on the symbolism of the sacrifices that they had done, which Hebrews clearly tells us that couldn't pay for their sins. And so they couldn't yet be in God's presence. They were in holding. They were prisoners of hope, waiting for that day when Christ would come and make the final payment for their sin. And so this is pointing to all of those things, and we, can, we could get into a big study of all of that and spend our time there, but that's not where I'm going this morning. I wanted to make those points this morning, but on Thursday at our Bible study, um, we're in, start, we've started Revelation and we're very slowly <laughs> moving through chapter one. Um, and in that, uh, John makes a statement of on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and we, we just had a little bit of discussion as to what the Lord's day is, and then speaking of um, the church began meeting on the first day of the week rather than the seventh day, which is the, the Sabbath day. The Jewish law requires obedience of observing the Sabbath. And we just pointed to that the resurrection happened on the first day of the week. And so the church began meeting on Sunday rather than Saturday because it was in recognition of the resurrection. And so all of Easter, all of this time that we're remembering through these next couple of weeks is pointing to that. And there's a couple of things that came up and there's some question as to the accuracy of scripture in these things. I just wanted to address that a little bit because I believe the Bible is true and right. I believe that we can believe what it says. And it says some things that our traditions make it seem that isn't true. And Brian actually mentioned, like, there, there is some question among some scholars as to Sunday being the day of the resurrection, being because Jesus said, if you want to, I'm sure we all know this, but let's turn there. Um, John, I should know where that is, but anyway. John. Helps if your notes are in order, but I'll find it.
Hey, Jeff. <laughs> Where he refers to Jonah three days and three nights. Yeah? Anybody? <laughs> I thought I had that reference written down, but I'm not seeing it here. Yeah, we get the picture, sorry. Um, so, as re- referencing um, back to Jonah, you know, right like in John 3. No, that's a serpent. Anyway. Jesus, Jesus describes very specifically, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so must the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Very specific time period. And so, if Jesus was crucified on Friday, which we call Good Friday, and we celebrate it as if Friday is the day that he was crucified, he, how could he have the resurrection take place on Sunday? Because there is not three days and three nights between Friday evening and Sunday morning. No matter how you count that, there is no way three days and three nights take place there. And so the question is, is where is the error? Is the Bible wrong? Is there error in what scripture says? And so some are trying to move the resurrection later. But what's the basis for thinking that Friday is the day of the crucifixion? Well, we should see what scripture has to say about that. If we turn to Matthew chapter 12, I bet you this is where... Verse 40. Yeah. (laughs) And this is where it says, as... Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So, it wasn't in John. That's my problem. (laughs) So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so he makes a statement that there is this time period, right? So, if, and the Bible also very clearly states, and I think we we better turn to, to at least one of these passages, and we'll just stick with Matthew for today. Matthew 28, verse 1. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, women, fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And so, very specific, on the first day of the week, at dawn, at just 
at the first light of day, they're there on Sunday morning, and he is risen. And we see that exact statement made in every one of the Gospels. All four Gospels give the same account that it was on the first day of the week. And so there's no discrepancy from one account to the next in Scripture that he rose on the first day of the week. So that's, if you're going to count backwards to say that Jesus said three days and three nights. So from Sunday morning, we have Saturday night, Friday night, and Thursday night. And so he had to have been crucified on the Thursday for this scripture and the scripture where he said how long he'd be in the grave to be true. So what makes us think it's Friday? <laughs> so if we'll turn to Luke chapter 23. And I'm not, I'm not doing this to cast doubt. I'm trying to remove the doubt of questioning what scripture says. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm getting that to that. Yeah, no, that's, but you're, you're right. And, and I'll, I'll get to that point here. So in, in Luke 23, uh, verse, starting in verse 44, says, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness. So this is while Jesus is on the cross, by the way. And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And just if you're questioning times, my understanding is that the day starts at 6 a.m. The sixth hour is noon. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. Okay? And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee, stood afar off, beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel indeed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus and took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher, that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And so here's a statement that the Sabbath was approaching, and there was this need to take Jesus from the cross and bury him immediately before that Sabbath. And a similar account, but I want to read this one in just the, the verse, basically, in John 19. 
John 19, verse 31, makes this statement. It says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. And in my Bible, in parenthesis, it says, For the Sabbath day was in high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And so the Jews are the ones that came and they wanted to make sure this was done before the Sabbath. And as we study what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath, when we look at creation, in the creation account in Genesis, each day that God made something, at the end of that day, it says the evening and the morning were the first or second or whatever the day was. It's the evening and the morning that made the day. And so in the Jewish time, the Sabbath started in the evening, around 6 p.m., on the evening of the day before. So for the Saturday Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, it's actually Friday evening is when the Sabbath was started and went through till 6 p.m. on Saturday. And so that's how they observed the Sabbath, which is why they're concerned about getting him off the cross. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We need to get this done so we can get this guy down before 6 p.m., before the, the Sabbath starts. Okay, so here we have this passage that's describing the crucifixion took place the day before the Sabbath. And here's exactly why everybody points to Friday, because Saturday is the Sabbath. But is Saturday the only Sabbath in Scripture? It's not. <laughs> and even in John here, it gives that hint that we're not talking about the Saturday Sabbath. It says, for that Sabbath day was in high day. It's not the regular every weekly seventh day Sabbath. And so we need to look at scripture. We need to understand scripture. And as I've been, I was studying through this, as you look in our New Testament at various passages, last week I criticized the Greek scholar, the the. the the preachers that know a little bit of Greek and <laughs> use the Greek. <laughs> the word most often used in Greek was, I don't know how to say it, Pascha, P-A-S-C-H-E, is the word that we translate Passover. Whether it was referring to the specific Passover day or the, the week of unleavened bread, it often just uses that word. And so we need to understand scripture. We can study our Old Testament to get the distinction of the two things. There's Passover and there's unleavened bread. This was instituted. I'm sure you've heard that um, back in the Old Testament, Israel went into captivity into Egypt. And Moses went and freed them through God's hand as the human leader brought them out of Egypt. And there's this guy named Pharaoh that tried to prevent that. He wasn't too happy about it, and God did all these miraculous plagues against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And that last plague was a plague of death. And God gave a way for, to distinguish between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And that was 
this day that we call the Passover. And there's this instruction given to kill a lamb and to paint your doorposts and the lintel with the blood of that lamb. And you're going to take that lamb and you're going to eat that lamb. But in that instruction, there's also given an instruction. You're going to be kicked out of here in a hurry. Pharaoh is going to push us out of Egypt immediately. And so they, it says they're, they're supposed to eat this in haste. Like, shoes on your feet, ready to go. We're going to cook this thing and we're going to eat it. And we're going to eat unleavened bread, which you make your, your bread each day and you let the stuff rise. Like, we don't have time for that. There's urgency to this. We're not letting the bread rise. We're just going to put it, the flour and water together. We're going to cook it and we're going to eat it without it being raised. And we're going to do that for a whole week. <laughs> and this was set as a remembrance of that event that they were to do this every year. And we get to Leviticus uh, chapter 23. It's revisiting this a little bit. Um, we get into all the law and he's, Moses is, is going through all the different aspects of the law and how everyone is supposed to observe all these different things. And this chapter speaks of the various feasts that God set out for them to observe. And there's seven of those feasts, but this chapter, and I read a couple different parts of it just to try to get some clarity here. But the first part of the chapter just refers to the regular Sabbath day. So Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 1, says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So there's our regular seventh-day Sabbath. Verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month, at even, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. But ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And in the seventh day is an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. And I'll just back up just us looking at this. This is the Passover feast. The 14th day is of the first month in the evening is the Lord's Passover. And so we need to remember that it's on the, the 14th day in the evening. That's at the beginning of the day. <laughs> And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unto the Lord, seven days you're going to eat unleavened bread. So if we think about this, if Passover starts on, let's say, Wednesday, <laughs> we're going to, or as, let's go 
Thursday, sorry. Let's start Thursday. We're going to eat the Passover Wednesday evening. Right? Because that's the start of Thursday <laughs> in their clock. And so Wednesday evening, I'm going to eat the Passover. Thursday is the day of Passover. And Thursday evening is the start of the 15th day, which is the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that entire day Thursday is kind of left open without any specific instructions being given during that daytime on Thursday. That's what's the description here. <laughs> so we have the 14th day, we started in the evening, we eat the Passover, that's going to be Wednesday evening. Thursday is the day of Passover, but there's no specific instruction given there. And then the 15th day is that Sabbath day that is to be set aside with no work being done in it. And here it doesn't specifically call it a Sabbath. This is why I'm going to read a couple other parts of this chapter, because it does call the same thing in other feasts a Sabbath. So if we go down to verse 24 of Leviticus 23, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And so we see this isn't the seventh day Sabbath. This is a feast day Sabbath. And the description of it is the same as we see in the unleavened bread feast, the first and the last day of it. This feast of trumpets has the same thing. The first day, and he actually calls it a Sabbath, but it's a holy convocation. It's a day set aside, no servile work shall you're going to do in it. And then he describes through, and if you were to read through, you'll see that the eighth day is also called a Sabbath. And so we see God sets aside Sabbaths aside from the weekly Sabbath. And we could go through scripture and spend a lot of time looking at all the different applications of that. There's different Sabbaths for a lot of different things. But they are different Sabbaths. And so there's no problem looking at Scripture, coming back to Jesus' crucifixion, and realizing he probably wasn't crucified on Friday. He was probably crucified on Thursday. If you want to turn back to Luke chapter 22, we can see how you can come to that conclusion quite easily. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read um, the first 15 verses just to give us the whole picture here. So Luke 22, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And so we see there's a, it, the whole feast they ended up calling the Passover. 
but we can study our scripture, go back to the Old Testament, we see the distinction between Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They just got in the habit of calling the whole thing Passover. So there is a distinction between it, though. And so, which is called the Passover, verse 2, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve, and he went his way and communed with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into this city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There, make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And the passage continues and we see the, the Last Supper that represents communion, that our communion table represents that Last Supper and what Jesus did and showed how that represented his death, burial, and resurrection. That his sacrifice on the cross for our sin. And so all this time, right from when they came out of Egypt until this day, they've been observing this thing and not understanding what it pictured. <laughs> that it pictured him, their Messiah, their king, coming into Israel and then being sacrificed as the payment for their sin. But Jesus, this last, this day, is preparing, they're preparing this Passover. That's the first day, the 14th day in the evening where they're going to kill that lamb. He ate the Passover. And so, if we just follow the time and we have to start from, from a Bible-believing perspective. We have to start on the first day of the week at his resurrection and understand that if we back up those Three days and three nights, we end up on Thursday for the crucifixion, which puts Thursday as that 14th day, that Passover day, which actually starts the evening before, which is when he would have eaten Passover. They eat it. They go out into the garden. Judas goes off and gets the soldiers and the priests, and they come and arrest him. They go through that night, and he's crucified the next day on the day of the Passover, the day before unleavened bread. When we were looking at these other passages that referred to when he's being on, when he's on the cross and they're in a hurry to get him down because the, Passover, the, the Sabbath is approaching, we're on that day. And it's a day of preparation. And that's what it describes it as, is the this is the preparation. We ate the Passover last night, 
And this day is our chance to prepare for the week of this unleavened bread. That week of unleavened bread, if we go back and study that, which I don't have time now, but they're to get rid of, not only just not cook with the leaven, the yeast or whatever leavening agent for their bread, they're, they're to clean it out of their house. They're not allowed to have any in their house. And I'm reading a modern person trying to prepare for that. And he said, imagine trying to get all the Cheerios out of the couch cushions. <laughs> There's leaven in that stuff. And I'm supposed to clean it out of my house. It's supposed to all be gone. And so the thorough cleaning... <laughs> And this represents what Christ is doing for us. It's this cleansing of sin. The leaven is representing our sin, which is why we have this week of unleavened bread. Is picturing, and you see, we can't do it. If you understand yeast, um, a bunch of us were at uh, liturgians there a few weeks ago and looking at how they make their bread. They do the sourdough bread. You know where that leaven comes from you know how you make sourdough you just mix the stuff together and sit it out <laughs> and in your air in your house it picks up yeast and starts to culture you know how hard it would be to eliminate all leaven out of your house it's impossible that's kind of the picture of our our sin right is that we couldn't possibly <laughs> eliminate all of the sin out of our lives. We can, we can start to clean it up. And, you, know, I, you know, there's the obvious stuff, the big stuff that, you know, I, I can quit doing this, I can quit doing that. But man, when you get into the issues of the heart, <laughs> man, that stuff's hard to get rid of. <laughs> and there's stuff that we don't even understand and, and recognize as sin. And the, we look at Paul. You, know, you, th- you think the guy that's writing the Bible would be fairly cleansed of his sin and the more cleansed of his sin he became, the more aware he was of what was left. <laughs> and and he, and he ends up in this verse in Romans 7. It's like, oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> it's like, the more, I, the more I look, the more I see. And the more God opens our eyes and we search the scriptures and see what he, his standards really are, like our, our sin, it's like we couldn't possibly cleanse ourselves of that and that's the picture Christ it's it's the sacrifice it's the lamb on the cross that does that for us we get his righteousness put on us because we couldn't possibly achieve our own righteousness and so we get into this situation where instead of just believing scripture and and studying it when it doesn't seem to fit. And we ended up, in tradition, celebrating or remembering. I don't know if celebrating is the right word of remembering Jesus' crucifixion. There is a celebration element to that because that's, that's how my salvation is achieved. I celebrate in that because, but it also grieves me that it's my sin that did that to him. But there's this remembrance of that time on the cross and his payment for our sin there. And we get into these traditions 
and we start to question what scripture actually says because our tradition doesn't line up with what scripture says. And I, in reading, I, like I go online and I start reading different stuff about this. I didn't find anybody that gave you the explanation that I gave you today. <laughs> I find all kinds of crazy explanations, but none that actually studied the scripture <laughs> and went back to see what the Bible said about Passover and could define that, oh look, there's a, there's, there's a Sabbath that's not the seventh day Sabbath that fits exactly the description and the timing of, of all the other events taking place. We can, we can trust our Bible, is, is basically my point. And when it doesn't seem to line up with, with our understanding, it's just we just probably haven't studied it enough to figure out where the things fit together and maybe how our traditions get messed up. I'm out of time on this, but you start looking at the timing. Do you realize that our, the, our celebration of Easter, how do we come up with this date? <laughs> Have anybody ever looked that up? It's the, the first Sunday after the full moon after the equinox, the spring equinox. This is how we come up with our date. It's the first Sunday after the full moon, after the spring equinox. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> the first, the, I, I don't understand the Jewish calendar, but it does line up in a similar way. The Jewish calendar follows the month or the moon cycles for defining their, their calendar. And so their, their first month of their year is around now, <laughs> around this moon. And so that timing typically lines similarly, but it's the 14th day of their month, the first month. And so it's not the same. You, if you start looking at calendars, you'll see that the Passover doesn't line up with Easter because for some reason we decided to make our own schedule <laughs> based on, I don't know, and you start studying, it's hard to find out how they came up with some of these things. Um, some of the early church stuff, I started looking at um, different groups celebrated the resurrection on different days. Some followed Passover, and so whatever day the Passover fell on, they would go from that and count their three days, and the resurrection was on whatever day that was. But the others, seeing that it happened on the first day of the week, followed the first day of the week. And so you would just go by the Passover and then extend to whenever that end of week time was so that you ended up celebrating the resurrection on the day of the week as opposed to tied with the Passover. And I guess that's what they ended up doing in the end and just came up with this alternate schedule as to how you came up with the timing of it. It's, it's kind of interesting, but it starts to make you realize that this is stuff that people came up with. These are traditions of men. This is the stuff that Jesus was criticizing the Pharisees for. We make a big deal over these days. Yeah, it's a big deal what happened, but it's not a big deal 
of us gathering and remembering that on that day. There was no instruction given to do that. It's a whenever you do this, you're supposed to remember. And so every time we have communion is the remembrance of that. The yearly thing, God's done away with that. We're not required, and all this stuff ends up being just human traditions. And we get bogged down in this legalism that has nothing to do with what God wants for us. We just need to be careful of that. And so, anyway, I hope, I hope that helped instead of confusing anybody. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Lord, I'm just uh, glad that we can search the scriptures and find answers to questions. There are explanations when some things don't seem to, to line up the way that we would expect them to. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would bless this time, this study that we've done, um, that we would understand the, your desire for us um, isn't to remember on a specific day, but just to remember what happened every day. That we would take that seriously from a day-to-day stance, Lord, and that we would remember Christ's sacrifice on that cross each and every day, and that we'd be thankful for that. That we would grieve over our sin that put Christ on that cross, Lord. So we just, again, we ask for your help in these things, and we ask again your blessing on this time that we've spent together, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.